Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Hancock County Fair is right around the corner, and the Chamber's Agribusiness Committee is once again putting together a buyer's group to support local youth at the livestock sale. We'll get details. Plus, nearly one-third of Americans live in a rented home or apartment, and just like flood insurance, renter's coverage offers essential but often overlooked protection. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning for Christians who turn to the Bible for moral and ethical guidance, what, if anything, does the scripture say about marijuana use? Is it enough that it is now legal in many states? And could your diet hold the key to relief of menopause symptoms? A conversation with the author of Your Body in Balance, the new science of food, hormones, and health. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. Now, have you been following the uh, stories, uh, just heart-wrenching stories, just gut-wrenching stories uh, coming out of uh, Kabul and uh, really all of Afghanistan uh, over the past uh, several days? This is an interesting story in relation to all of that, the Taliban retaking the country of Afghanistan. We're not even officially out yet. And already the Taliban has taken over Uh, the uh, Biden administration in a major miscalculation. I don't think you can describe it any other way. A major miscalculation uh, by the Biden administration uh, on this whole Afghanistan withdrawal thing. But this is related, but on a whole different plane, certainly will be something that people will be discussing vociferously on social media. Facebook, TikTok, and a number of other social media companies have banned the Taliban. But Twitter is allowing its members on their platform. A Twitter spokesperson was cited when asked yesterday as saying um, it was uh, Twitter was asked yesterday if it would ban the extremist group that has taken over Afghanistan uh, Twitter uh, spokesperson said, quote, it would continue to proactively enforce its rules on the glorification of violence, platform manipulation and spam. That's what they said. That was their official statement on the uh, Taliban. The company did later go on to add Twitter's top priority is keeping people safe and we remain vigilant. <laughs> so two statements and neither of them really say anything. Taliban spokesperson Zabula Mujahid does have an active presence on Twitter with more than 200,000 followers. Among the critics of the Taliban being allowed on Twitter, notably were some Republicans who questioned why that was permitted, while Twitter imposed a lifetime ban on former President Donald Trump. So... Make of that what you will. Discuss amongst yourselves. But you know that that is going to be a matter of spirited debate over the uh, next several days, weeks, and perhaps even months. Here is the uh, latest story in the battle of the sexes. It seems that men who are poor jokesters are judged more harshly than women who are poor jokesters. This is according to research at the University of New Haven. 
finds that women were relate, were rated as more likable, competent, and even funnier if they failed to land their jokes than men who were poor at cracking jokes. It is thought that, so in other words, we're more forgiving of, of women when they are uh, not good joke tellers. It is believed that this is because men are seen as trying to be self-serving when making jokes, while women are perceived as trying to connect with another person when they joke around. The author of this study, Tally Reich, adds, unfortunately, women have do have to tread lightly because their mistakes are more damning than the same mistakes made by men, although women are more likely to be forgiven. So, But when they mess up, apparently, in the minds of others, they mess up pretty good. Is basically what you say. But in general, women are more easily forgiven. It's kind of interesting. Um, oh, this is big news. Big, big news. And talk about the first things you need to know, the most interesting, most buzzworthy, most important news stories of the day. This may be the biggest one of all. In 2022, coming in 2022, there will be a new Girl Scout cookie. A new variety called Adventurefuls. It is a brownie-inspired cookie with caramel-flavored cream and a sprinkle of sea salt. Adventurefuls and the rest of the Girl Scout cookie portfolio will be available to purchase sometime between January and April, depending on when your local troop begins its sales. But a new Girl Scout cookie is coming. I'm telling you, I'm here to give you the big news of the day. Make sure you are informed. Make sure you are fully up to speed of the important news stories of the day. This is uh, I talking about new products. I don't know that this is necessarily a new Girl Scout cookie. That's always a good thing. This, however, is a thing. I'm not sure that this is such a good thing. A Virginia beer maker has teamed <laughs> with Duke's mayonnaise to create a New, unique brew. Unique being the operative word here. Champion Brewing and Duke's Mayonnaise, both based in Virginia, are crafting a mayonnaise-style beer. You heard right. A mayonnaise-style beer. While there is no actual mayo in the beer, it is designed to pair nicely with anything... That you put mayonnaise on, basically. It is a Vienna-style lager that a spokesperson for the brewery says goes really well with a BLT. Um, Champion Brewing describes the beer as a light copper medium-bodied lager with a toasty malt sweetness. It is set to be released on Friday. Again, I would emphasize there is no actual mayonnaise in the beer, but... Just the teaming up between a brewery and a mayonnaise maker, I'm not sure I'm on board with that. But will you give it a try? Would you at least give it a try? I don't know if I could even do that. I don't know that I could in good conscience. Anything that just yeah, mayonnaise and beer. I just I, I didn't I don't know. 
And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. You know, this has been a big summer for travel. I hope that you and your family have been able to enjoy some time away, especially after a year plus of lockdowns and not really being able to travel uh, so much. Um, It was definitely, well, we called it all summer long. We called it the Great Travel Reboot of 2021 a lot of people uh were traveling and this is a related story kind of interesting one of the largest independent u.s hotel owners is experimenting with a new business strategy is kind of like the airline industry charging guests for additional services and amenities above and beyond just your room for example uh, Tyler Morse, who owns, um, well, again, one of the largest, he's uh, one of the largest independent hoteliers in the country. Tyler Morse, his company, says that an, about a dozen of his hotels are trying this out. And uh, he said, for example, any guest can get an early check in, but it costs about 20 bucks. If you want a late checkout, same deal. Now, that's not so outrageous, I don't think. I mean, you're charged per night for a hotel room from such and such a time, from check-in time to check-out time, and that's what the rate is based on. And you want extra time in your hotel room, either before or after, before check-in or uh, late check-out, you know, paying a, a few extra bucks seems like it would not be unreasonable. But here's where it gets uh, kind of interesting. If you want to use the pool at the hotel, well, that might be free on a Tuesday morning, but on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday night when the pools, when the pool is usually pretty busy, would cost you an extra 25 bucks to go to the pool. 25 bucks. That seems a little steep, but again, is it a reasonable thing to charge people for use of the pool or the fitness center um breakfast that used to be uh, complimentary at many of these uh, hotels now charging for breakfast service in exchange these hotels are lowering their room rate so is that a fair exchange a little bit less a little bit lower rate on your room but you have to pay for all of the extra amenities for me i would not that wouldn't bother me because uh, i don't generally use the pool when i go to a hotel or the gym or anything like that any of the business uh, concierge services or so on and so forth so if you want to charge more for those to those who use them i think that's fine but uh, if i get a, a cheaper rate on my uh, hotel room but i have a feeling that that may not last that uh, eventually we'll see the rates go back up pretty much to where they were before it's just everything else will cost more that was once complimentary i don't know it's, they say if it uh, if it catches on uh, it may start a trend within the industry so i guess we'll uh, we'll find out there you go some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your wednesday is it wednesday already wednesday morning started my goodness WFIM News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert weather, a chance of showers and thunderstorms through the day today, partly cloudy otherwise with a high in the low 80s.
Drive sober or get pulled over. That message will be in full force as the Putnam County Sheriff's Office will be part of a national enforcement campaign. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration will sponsor the event August 20th through September 6th. In addition to zero tolerance measures, there will be a heightened awareness blitz to remind the public of the consequences of drunk driving. The Marathon Center for the Performing Arts is rescheduling a concert planned for Thursday night. Fleetwood Mac tribute band Tusk had been scheduled to perform this week, but the lighting system at the main hall was damaged during last week's storms and will not be repaired in time. Tusk has been rescheduled for November 14th. Tickets for the original date will be honored at the concert in November. We have more information on our website. Nearly every county in Ohio is now listed as having a high level of community transmission of COVID-19, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. ONN's Tracy Townsend has more. Just three of Ohio's 88 counties do not have high levels of transmission. They are Hancock County in northwest Ohio, Astabula County in northeast Ohio, and Athens County in southeast Ohio. The transmission rate in those areas is listed as substantial. According to the CDC's guidance, vaccinated people should return to wearing masks if they live in a county with a substantial or high spread. I'm Tracy Townsend. In a related story, new data shows that Ohio ranks in the top 10 nationwide for child COVID cases. Since the start of the pandemic, there's been about 160,000 kids diagnosed with the virus in the state. Ohio is one of 17 states reporting more than 100,000 COVID cases in kids. These numbers are part of a new report from the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association. And the USS Cod will dock in Cleveland today. The vessel has been in Erie, Pennsylvania for two months getting restoration work. It left Cleveland for the first time in nearly 60 years for maintenance. It will take 13 hours for the ship to return. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. So, speaking of back to school, I mean, that has been kind of the uh, overarching topic over the uh, past couple of weeks because we're counting down to back to class. Here's another uh, perfect sign that back to school is right around the corner. The Hancock County Fair is back for 2021. And uh, with it, the Chambers Agribusiness Committee is once again putting together a buyer's group to support local youth at the livestock sale. Judy Pusateri is with us uh, here this morning. Judy, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate hey, it. thanks for letting me join you this morning. So uh, last year, obviously, the fair was very different. There was no uh, public fair, but they did still have the livestock uh, judging and so on. Did they do the sale? Were you? Did you participate in that last year? So as the agribusiness committee, we did not. But because it was a online auction, the kids didn't okay. get to show their animals or anything. Some yeah. different departments had little small shows for right. just the exhibitors themselves. Nothing public. But um, all these children had bought their animals. They had right. put the money into it. They so had we, those expenses. They That's... had the expenses. And so... We went ahead and did an online, you know, the junior fair and I, the Ag Society put on a great online auction for these kids. But we are back in person this year, and I am so excited to be able to be a part of this. Is this because, as you allude to, this is the payoff. I mean, the kids work year round. This is not a one or two week thing. This is a year round project that these kids put their heart and soul and sweat into and their money throughout an entire year. This is how they 
make all of that back and then hopefully some additional profit besides. It is. So a big part of the agricultural program in raising livestock is understanding the cost understanding your input the whole business and understanding the marketing the of whole it. business the of whole it yeah. thing. and so so many of these kids go in maybe with a gift from mom and dad their first year or grandma and grandpa and then they have to manage that money throughout the rest of the years for mm-hmm. instance my children take dairy feeders and that's exactly what happens yeah you know they were gifted their first years um two head of dairy feeders and since then what they make is what they put into the following year and, and they continue yeah. and self-sustain how does that business model look how what works what doesn't work mm-hmm. um, and you're exactly right these kids right now so many of them are managing not only back to school mm-hmm. they're managing sports they're managing right. their projects and their parents <laughs> all have full-time jobs. So this, you know, this time you're so busy for these kids and to be able to go to that sale ring and have a product Mm -hmm. because that's at the end of the day, what it is, it's going into the food chain. It's Mm -hmm. a safe product going in. And for them to be able to stand there in front of a community that supports them and shares that by their bid. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It is a very big deal. So just uh, not only financially, but psychologically. And I mean, there's so much that the kids get out of this. And it only happens... If there are buyers uh, in the ring, and and obviously there are a number of businesses and organizations, especially ag-related businesses and organizations that have supported the livestock sale for years and years and years. But a few years ago, the Chamber Agribusiness Committee realized that there are a number of other businesses out there that could participate, maybe would like to participate, but don't have the wherewithal or the understanding, the knowledge to participate. And so the uh, this uh, committee has this put committee together. was born. This yeah. buyer's group was born out of that. It is. So, you know, it's really interesting because this is my life, right? I have joked that I have been sitting on Labor Day in the sale arena for the last 40 years. And I joke because, you know, at first it was a very unwilling participant, as my mother told me to, you know, settle down, sit here, we're going to be here a while, to then be an exhibitor and a participant in Junior Fair, and now as a mother, a supporter, and a huge advocate of it. What did you take to the fair? I took dairy feeders also, so I did. I did. You're a whole dairy feeder family all the way through. All the way through, you know. And, and my father took um, dairy cattle. So, you know, it's one of those things that it, it's, it was kind of bred in us, right? I mean, that's yeah. just kind of where we're at. And right. I am amazed at my full-time job. When I go out, people ask, why do you spend your Labor Day there? Come on, it's the last breath of summer. It's where you're at. Why do you do this? And how do you do it and stuff? So that's right. really where this came out. A lot of people, A, don't want to give up their weekend. Mm-hmm. I I. I am okay with it, you know? <laughs> but on the flip side, um, a lot of people don't know, how do you go to a livestock auction? If right. I bet on the animal, am I actually buying the animal? Do I got to load this hog up in my trunk and take it home? How does this work, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so we are asking businesses of all sorts to join us and in spirit and with their checkbooks on Labor Day to help our kids. And here's one thing that I always want to share. These kids have incredible work ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, think about it. These kids are getting up super early in the morning, all year round, you know, at least the time that they have their project, they're feeding, they're walking, right. they're trying to develop that animal into the prime product for the judge. And these are the kids that you want to come apply 
at your organization. Mm-hmm. These are the kids that understand. These are the ones early. you want to support. These, the are, the, these are the Absolutely. kids you want to support. So, Absolutely. And if you don't think these kids don't remember who supports them when they come in and out of that ring, mm-hmm. that's silly. Yeah. My kids can tell you, I can tell you almost every year who bought my animal and why, mm-hmm. and why I, why I still patronize a lot of those organizations because you know what? They helped me when I was young. And now that I'm able to, I'm going to help them while I'm older. So these are the kids that when they start getting into the job market and they hand over that application, you're going to want to be at the top of their thought process. So if I am a business owner, but I I am not familiar with the whole agriculture scene and I don't know how all of this works, the brilliance of this is that you do and uh, the folks of the uh, Agribusiness Committee will actually do this basically by proxy. We will, yes. So you can go to the Chamber website, or you can also call Doug Jenkins at the Chamber. You can also call myself. I'm at Farmers and Merchants State Bank out on Tiffin Avenue. Call me. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the dollar ranges. You know, for as little as $100, you could really help a kid out. Put your name in. You'll be getting um, not only advertisement the day of the auction, but radio advertising we're going to have, we're also going to have an ad in the newspaper to just thank you for what you're doing. So yeah. be a part of this group. It's really important. This is a youth-based program for hardworking kids. And again, I get it. You might not want to give up your Labor Day, but we'll do it for you. Exactly. I'll raise a bid number for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, for those who want to be a part of the uh, buyers group, and and by the way, this is one of those rising tide lifts all boats because you get the more bidders you have in the ring, the more money ends up being raised for all of these kids. Exactly. So, and I think we've learned that. You know, I mean, what I can't do on my own, um, I join a group that can do it yeah. together and make it, that bigger impact and, and that's what as doing. a matter of fact one of the other uh one of the other impetus for creating the buyers group uh the agribusiness committee a few years ago was the word that there would probably be fewer because back during the economic downturn there were uh, fewer bidders in the ring and so this was a way of uh adding some extra support and for that's the youth how it so developed because in yeah. 2019 it was the forward. you know no plant 19 remember all that right. rain that exactly. we were getting and yeah. stuff? so agriculture really had a hard hit and so yeah. we wanted to bring in but it worked so it well. It has been so successful it that it has carried so on. Well. Uh, now, uh, obviously, the fair is coming up here uh, right around the corner now. Uh, when do folks need to join up or sign up to be a part of the buyer's group here? Absolutely. So the sale is Labor Day, which is September 6th. We right. would love to have all um, businesses join in with us by Thursday, September 2nd. So that way, which, by the way, is the second day of the fair. Um, But that way we can make sure that we have all your data. We can put it on that bid number and we can ensure that you get um, the recognition that you deserve for supporting these young kids. Very good. Uh, So get a hold of the uh, Chambers Agribusiness Committee. Uh, We've got the link up at our webpage for more information on the uh, buyers uh, group. Support the uh, local youth at the uh, livestock sale, the Hancock County Fair, as we said, back for uh, 2021. And Judy Busatiri with us uh, this morning. Judy, Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Well, did you know that renters occupy nearly one-third of all housing in the United States? That is interesting to note because yesterday we were talking about flood insurance uh, and pointing out that it's available for renters as well as homeowners. Well, 
it's probably a good opportunity here for a reminder about the importance of renter's insurance in general. And so expanding on yesterday's point, joining us this morning are Mike Barry of the Insurance Information Institute and Vicki Lambert of USAA. And first and foremost, I'll throw this out to both of you. This is, uh, and, and probably the underlying message here, this is essential protection for all the things that you own. This is not something that is included in your rent. Correct. The renter's insurance is uh, helping to protect your personal possessions in the event they're stolen or damaged uh, because of an insured disaster. So you're right. The rent, uh, the rent payment is giving you the roof over your head. The renter's insurance is covering the personal possessions uh, that uh, you keep in that rental unit, whether it be an apartment in an apartment complex or a rental home. Right. Now, uh, here's the uh, probably one of the big questions. I'm sure you get it all the time. How do I know how much coverage I need? For homeowners, it's fairly easy because you have a home that can be appraised and then you use that as a starting point. How do you determine what kind of coverage you might need when you're a renter? Yeah, I would highly recommend that you go through an inventory list and, and make a kind of a a list of everything that you have um, from a personal property perspective, such as maybe your couch or your bed, your clothes, maybe what's in your kitchen, your pots and pans and dishes and things like that, and kind of sum up all that information. But most importantly, I also recommend that you talk to an insurance professional that can help um, ask those right questions to ensure that you have the particular coverage that you need. Another thing we haven't really talked about yet is liability coverage. Liability coverage is pretty important to a renter. It helps protect your finances if you're ever held responsible for someone's injuries, um, maybe on your uh, in your apartment or your rental property, or just property damage to that to that um, apartment as well. So, yeah. I highly recommend liability coverage as well. Yeah, that was something I w- I did want to bring up because again, it's something that homeowners are familiar with is the concept of liability mm-hmm. protection in the event that someone gets injured while they're on your property. So that is a thing that uh, renters need to be aware of as well, even though that they don't own the physical property. Yes, that's uh, that is correct. Uh, the the renter's insurance policy basically has three components. We talked about uh, the personal. Po- possessions being covered but the, and liability and the other part is additional living expenses. But since we're talking about liability, um, things can get expensive pretty quickly if, in fact, uh, somebody's injured on your property. They turn around and sue you. I know I'm playing out worst-case scenarios here, but that's why you need uh, liability coverage because this is going to pay uh, whatever legal fees you incur, and uh, the poss- it is possible there could be a, a court judgment against you, and this, too, would be paid out of your the liability portion of your renter's insurance policy. Now, again, uh, just to underscore something, I think we kind of alluded to it just a moment ago, this is essential for all renters, whether that is an apartment, a house, a duplex, a condo, whatever it is that you are renting, right? Yes, that is correct. Anywhere that you're renting, you always will have uh, personal property um, that you need to Right. Right. What about college students? I mean, this is the time when many young people are moving away from home and into their own housing for the first time. Well, Vicki, I know he's got a college student, so I'll let her take this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for that. I actually do. My daughter is going back to, to college next uh, next week. So um, I do highly recommend that uh, you do purchase a renter's policy for children, whether they're living on campus or an apartment. It's always a good idea to make sure that their stuff is covered while they're away. 
Um, and again, going back to that um, very important liability question and ensuring that they have uh, uh, coverage in case they're legally responsible for someone's injuries. Um, there is some coverage under your homeowner's policy, but it is pretty limited. Um, so I do want to make sure that everyone's aware of that. And in addition, you know, the homeowner's policy has a, usually a very much, a much higher deductible than the renter's policy. So I do highly recommend um, as as your children are going back to college, which now is the time right. um, that you do purchase a renter's policy. You know, something uh, else that uh, homeowners are familiar with is that uh, m- most of the time, uh, virtually all the time, uh, a mortgage lender requires homeowners insurance. Can a landlord require renter's insurance in the same way? The, the short answer to that is yes, and increasingly landlords are insisting that renters purchase a renter's insurance policy so there's no dispute as to who's covering what in the event of a theft of personal property on the rental uh, uh, property or if there's a fire or if there's a a hurricane. Um, I mean, we're a national organization. I mean, we've got wildfires. There's so many hazards out there. Um, But the the increasingly landlords are requiring renters to – to purchase a renter's insurance policy as a condition of renting the property. Now, you mentioned uh, the the three components to renter's insurance. So we mentioned specifically the uh, personal property, mentioned the liability, and then what was the third? Additional living expenses. This is uh, in the event that uh, the rental unit is rendered uninhabitable because of an insured event. So mm. a fire, a hurricane, a, a tornado, the additional living expenses is going to provide um, the additional resources you might need to secure temporary housing until such time as the rental unit is habitable again. Again, Mike Berry of the Insurance Information Institute and Vicki Lambert of USAA with us this morning. Uh, anything else that we need to mention to renters who may now you know, be living in a space where they are not protected, uh, you know, the message uh, to those individuals? Yeah, I would highly recommend that they talk to an insurance professional to understand, you know, their coverage needs. And the other thing is it's it's inexpensive. The the some people I understand might balk cuz they don't want to be required to buy something, but uh when you look at the numbers, uh, it's as little as $10 a month for renters insurance. Mike Barry, Vicky Lambert, thank you both for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Good to be with thank you. Gallup's latest poll on the issue of marijuana these days, 49% of U.S. adults say that they have tried marijuana. Uh, That is the highest percentage that they have ever seen in this poll. They do this from time to time. More than 50 years ago, just 4% of adults said that they had tried uh, pot. But in 1977, it was 20%. 1985, 30%. In 2015, 40%. And today, uh, just 12% say they smoke marijuana, a number that has remained pretty steady in recent years. But uh, 49% of U.S. adults say that they have at least tried the wacky weed. Gallup says that generational patterns explain the increase in marijuana experimentation over the last five decades. As Americans born before 1945 are much less likely than those uh, in other groups to have uh, tried marijuana. And that actually leads us to our Keeping the Faith series this morning. Allow me to explain how these two things are related. For Christians who turn to the Bible for guidance 
on moral and ethical issues, what, if anything, does Scripture say about medical or even recreational marijuana use? Is it enough that it is now legal in many states? Here's correspondent John Clemens this morning, Keeping the Faith. Dr. Ted Miles is professor of theology at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, where he teaches theology, church history, hermeneutics, and ethics. He is the author of Cannabis and the Christian. When recreational marijuana was legalized in Washington, which is just right across the bridge, we had people in our church come to us and ask, hey, is it okay now that it's legal uh, for me to go use marijuana? And we realized the old answer of, no, you can't smoke marijuana because it's illegal, uh, would no longer suffice. So we had to start thinking about what does the Bible actually say about the recreational use of marijuana? And then that later led to me thinking about the medical use of marijuana as well. Can the answer be found in the scriptures? Well, it doesn't say anything explicitly, but it has a lot to say about intoxication, a lot to say about uh, wisdom, addiction, uh, intentional thought, discipleship, uh, your, your body, what you ought to put into it, or how you use your body in order to honor the Lord. And so we have to marshal those kinds of passages in order to think faithfully uh, on an issue like marijuana use. Dr. Miles writes in his book, Cannabis and the Christian, that some of the passages dealing with alcohol could be used to define marijuana use as a sin. Well, the Bible forbids intoxication by alcohol, and it explains why. It, uh, it impedes mental or cognitive abilities, physical abilities, and moral judgment. Uh, marijuana intoxication, the marijuana high, demonstrably does all three of those things. And so certainly intoxication by marijuana use, the marijuana high, uh, would be sin. Professor Miles tells us the Bible gives us some guidance regarding marijuana. There's a series of wisdom questions that we have to ask and answer about uh, addiction, potential addiction, about mind control, about intentional thought, uh, about engagement. And when we bring those kinds of biblical uh, truths to bear, then hopefully that can guide us in the question regarding uh, marijuana use. There should be some guidance for pastors who have or will be called on regarding questions on the subject of marijuana for either recreational or medicinal use. Christians haven't given marijuana use a lot of thought because it has been illegal. Uh, but now that recreational marijuana use is legal in many states, now that medical marijuana use is legal in even more states and medical marijuana is being recommended by friends and family and, and even some doctors, this question is going to become more and more urgent. That is the question of, of is it okay for a, for a Christian to use cannabis? Dr. Miles understands some Christians will view his book as controversial. I think that the majority of people who, who, who are open to thinking about this from a biblical perspective and from a wisdom perspective, from a discipleship perspective, are, are going to find that the Bible does have plenty to say. It has sufficient words in order to live faithfully and to answer questions, these ethical questions regarding recreational and medical marijuana use. As a seminary professor in Portland, Oregon, I wondered what seminarians think of marijuana. 
the answer to the question, why can't I smoke marijuana? Well, because it's illegal. Or can I smoke marijuana? Yes, I can, because it's legal now. Those aren't sufficient answers. Uh, they probably never were, but they definitely are not right now. And, and so what I find in the seminary is just like pastors in the churches, that they're looking for biblical wisdom on this. Dr. Miles tells us it's important to separate recreational use of marijuana from the possible healing properties of cannabis. There is a lot of anecdotal evidence that, that cannabis uh, has some, some healing properties uh, that, that are uh, of help to people who are suffering. There's not quite as much clinical or, or, or medical evidence uh, for that, but there's certainly a lot of anecdotal evidence. And that's why I think the question of medical marijuana use is different than the question of recreational marijuana use. Here's how to get in touch with Dr. Todd Miles, author of Cannabis and the Christian. My uh, contact information is, is on the Western Seminary website. My, my email address is tmiles at westernseminary.edu, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to engage with, with people on, on this issue. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the uh, broken news, and in this case, from Columbus, Ohio, a major highway nearly given a booze bath. They were worried uh, on Tuesday a tractor-trailer carrying thousands of bottles of Jack Daniels lost control and crashed on Interstate 70, caused traffic to come to a standstill so the crews could clean up the carnage. Fortunately, thankfully, the bottles were empty. So thank goodness for that. It was not a true disaster. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I guess for the crews, they didn't have to mop up the whiskey, which could have been rather sticky on the highway. I would imagine the uh, driver of the truck taken to the hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. Meanwhile, whiskey drinkers are at peace, knowing that not a drop of Jack Daniels was lost. It could have been a very tragic day. At least there is that. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, I have some uh, animal stories, which are always fun. This is from the International File in Sydney, Australia. This was definitely not on uh, this woman's shopping list. A woman shocked when a large snake slithered across the shelf in the spice section. Hillary Lee posted a video of the animal as it made its way across the shelf at a Woolworth store in uh, Glenorie, Australia, near Sydney. They have a Woolworths there still. Uh, Another witness says the python just wanted to say hello. Workers cordoned off the area to keep customers safe, and a snake catcher was called in to uh, capture the reptile and uh, release it in the wild safely. (laughs) Maybe the snake was just looking to spice things up a little bit. But um, bum. The spice aisle. Get it. Usually dogs are the uh, heroes of the pet saves owner stories, but not this time. In the UK, authorities were searching for an elderly woman on Saturday who had been missing for over an hour when one of the search team heard her cat meowing. Police say that that person uh, followed the cat, which then led rescuers to the missing woman who had fallen about 70 feet into a stream in North Cornwall in an area that would 
very difficult to access. Fortunately, rescuers got the woman out and she was taken to a hospital where she is listed in stable condition thanks to her cat. About that. That's pretty cool. Uh, On the other hand, it's not always the pets that rescue the humans. Sometimes it's the other way around. In Vermont, the Essex Junction Fire Department uh, posted on Facebook uh, last week that they had to rescue a medium-sized dog that got trapped underneath the couch. (laughs) The animal's leg was wedged in a metal part and the couch could not be moved without further hurting the animal. So the owner called firefighters. I mean, what do you do? The dog's stuck under the sofa. Small dog, obviously. Stuck under the sofa. But if you move the sofa, it would uh, hurt even more. The firefighters had to took about a half hour to disassemble the sofa, but they were fi- finally able to free the pooch. Dog was taken to the vet to have uh, a cut on its leg looked at, but is expected to make a full recovery. So how about that? <laughs> Sometimes it's the dogs that need help from the humans. Not always the other way around. And uh, finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, you have to wonder how some people sleep at night. 49-year-old Patricia Clark of Pemberton, New Jersey, is accused of leaving her husband in the morgue rather than using the GoFundMe money that she had raised to for, for his funeral. <laughs> Family members told police... That uh, Ms. Clark's husband had not been picked up for the morgue, even though she had raised uh, more than $2,000 to defray the cost of the funeral after his death. He passed away in April of 2019, leaving behind three children and apparently an ungrateful wife. Uh, According to the uh, GoFundMe page. Uh, three children and a wife. She has been indicted on one count of theft by failure to make disposition. By the because she started the GoFundMe under the pretense of paying for her husband's funeral, but instead she went on a shopping spree and left her husband's body in the morgue. Again, you wonder how some people sleep at night. The uh, Burlington County Prosecutor's Office uh, has uh, charged her uh, in the. Uh, in the incident and stay tuned i would imagine that she's not that's not going to end well for her there you go uh that is today's broken news report this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less of hancock county veteran services we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming the Finley Trojans play here on WFIN. This is Tim Montgomery. Join me and Coach Cliff Hyde for all the action of Trojan football in 2021. We'll bring you every exciting play each Friday night, all season long, home and away. This is Coach Stephen Adams. The Trojans open the season at home this Friday night against Anthony Wayne. Finley Trojan football is here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And with the summer winding down and school districts all over the country gearing up for a school year that will be closer to normal, certainly than the Zoom infested pandemic academic year of 2020. New survey shows that teens are very nervous about this, quote unquote, return to normal. The poll finds that one third 
of the more than 500 teens who took part in this poll commissioned by Morgan Stanley Alliance for Children's Mental Health. One third say that they are nervous about getting back to in-person learning and 48% say they are worried about experiencing social anxiety as they re-enter quote-unquote normal life. Now, the data from the Alliance was compiled in collaboration with the Morgan Stanley Foundation and nonprofits including the Child Mind Institute, the Jed Foundation, the Steve Fund, New York Presbyterian Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital, and the Columbia University Department of Psychiatry. The survey also found 43% of teens say they are worried they have fallen behind academically because of lockdowns and all that remote learning. 43% also say they are concerned about mental health challenges as a result of the pandemic. 42% say they have been opening up to others about mental health, and two-thirds do feel optimistic that they will eventually rebound from the pandemic, despite the fact that they're nervous now. That being said, some groups are suffering worse than others. The survey showed that 64% of African-American teenagers and 52% of Hispanic teens were more nervous about experiencing social anxiety as life returns to normal, compared to 44% of Caucasian teenagers. Moreover, teens of color twice as likely as white teens to say that they don't feel comfortable speaking to anyone about their mental health, which is concerning. The poll noted that 33% of teens, one-third, say they do have access to mental health resources but do not utilize them. And even more worrisome, 22% do not have access to those resources at all. So something for parents to keep in keep in mind and take to heart as we celebrate the fact that the kids are headed back to school. It's going to be more more normal. Everything is going to be okay, But our teens are nervous, as this poll shows. And so it's maybe worth the conversation with them ahead of the start of school. Just ask the question. Start the dialogue. Have that conversation and make sure they're doing okay as well. Well, obviously, we are more cognizant today than we have ever been about the food that we eat. What are we what we are putting in our bodies? And there was any doubt of that. You just walk up and down the aisles of the grocery store. And uh, it's it's a very different experience than it was uh, a generation ago, even a decade ago. Joining us this morning is Dr. Neil Barnard. He is uh, president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine uh, in Washington, and his new book is called Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. I want to talk big picture for just a moment here. This is kind of a generational change that we have seen because we are starting to realize that it has not only to do with curing our hunger, but also uh, with, the, with the value of how healthy we are. Has that really been the impetus for, for this? I, I think what you said is exactly right. And maybe a generation or two ago, we didn't really understand what food could do. We, if you had diabetes, it related to your genes, we thought. Um, or if you had hot flashes, that's just because you're, you're a woman. And now we know that foods will affect diabetes profoundly. Um, hot flashes, menopausal symptoms, strongly related to food, but who would have guessed that? Your research paved the way for viewing type 2 diabetes as a reversible condition for many people. That was a pretty that was pretty radical thinking back in the day. Now, uh, that's just kind of accepted as scientific fact. And by extension, as you mentioned, 
uh, menopausal issues are much the same. You know, it's a funny thing. It's it's the last thing you would ever think to have anything to do with what you ate for breakfast. But but the food part of it came in in, in a surprise. Researchers in Canada, where they have as many hot flashes in Canada as we have in the United <laughs> States. They, right. I mean, it's, it's not it's a uniquely American problem. Yeah. Precisely. However, they went to Japan and found that hot flashes were extremely rare and they didn't even have a word for them. Maybe 15% or less of women had them at menopause and, and they were mild, really mild. However, then something else happened. When Japan started really westernizing and fast food chains came in, hot flashes suddenly became really commonplace. Two things that have emerged. The first is that when when cultures are on a more plant-based kind of diet, they have less hot flashes, it seems. But the second thing is there's something about a soybean. Big thing in Japan, they eat a lot of tofu and soy milk and, and soybeans in general, edamame. And they happen to have isoflavones, which are these natural compounds that help knock out hot flashes. So our research team thought, all right, here in America, people are suffering. And we brought in a group of women and randomly assigned half of them to not do anything different, just keep their normal diet. The other half, we said, we're going to avoid animal products. You're going to do a plant-based diet for the next 12 weeks. And you're going to cook up some soybeans in a pressure cooker and have a half a cup of them a day. What we've discovered is after 12 weeks, hot flashes dropped by 84%, and 60% of them, by the end of the study, didn't have any moderate to severe hot flashes at all. They were completely free to them. So, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you, the average woman lost eight pounds. You're talking about uh, hot flashes because obviously that's the the one thing that is very, very common and very, very annoying for uh, a lot of women. But that's not the uh, only issue associated with menopause. You mentioned weight gain, and and obviously a healthy diet is going to uh, address that or go a long way to addressing that. But then there are other uh, issues like mood swings, uh, depression, anxiety, that kind of thing. Does this help address those issues as well? Uh, the, the short answer is yes. And, and we stumbled on this accidentally. After we did our initial diabetes work, the car insurance company, Geico, contacted us. And it was just a coincidence. Their, their headquarters is about four blocks from our research center. So they said, and I knew the health director over there, she said, we got 2,500 people here at Geico in the headquarters. Some of them have diabetes, some need to lose weight. Let's, can we do a study together? We did. And we found that this same kind of diet, a plant-based diet, um, helped dramatically and people really liked it. However, depression got better too. We weren't expecting that. We were tracking mood, uh, depression, anxiety, and job absenteeism. And as the study went on, all of those things seemed to lighten up. So we discovered that the foods you're eating change your gut. They change the gut microbiome, the bacteria in your gut, to healthier forms that feed back to the brain and make people feel uh, emotionally a lot better. There is also, and this is uh, maybe a little less common, but I know that some uh, experience uh, thyroid issues, thyroid problems in association or maybe not even in association with uh, menopause. Is this uh, something that can address uh, those issues both uh, within and outside of the context of menopause? Let me give a qualified yes to that. We, the, the short answer is we think so, but we need more research here. And, and the reason we think so 
is in large groups of people. Uh, there was a thing called the Adventist Health Study, where they looked at more than 60,000 Seventh-day Adventists. And, and the reason they studied this group is they happen to be very health conscious, teetotalers, non-smokers, mm-hmm. but some of them follow a healthy diet and some don't. And so that allowed people to look at what different dietary patterns would do. And it yeah. turned out that, that people following more plant-based diets, vegetarian and especially vegan diets, had much less, they were much less likely to have hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. So what, what people have not done on this for thyroid disease, though, is done a randomized clinical trial. Yeah. The type that we have done for diabetes, we've done it for hot flashes, we've done it for for weight control, we've done it for cholesterol, we've done it for blood pressure. It has not yet been done for thyroid disease. So my message is, Try a healthy diet, absolutely, but don't cancel your next doctor's appointment. Along those same lines, again, as we said, you know, it's it's pretty well established and well accepted within the medical community uh, that uh, a healthy diet uh, can certainly impact even reverse uh, type two diabetes. A number of the other uh, things you're talking about uh, that is that's very well accepted. But at the same time, using diabetes as an example, even though we know that diet uh, does impact uh, have a positive impact. On, on diabetes, that doesn't mean uh, that we rush to eliminate insulin or or other medications to help uh, control diabetes. So, with respect to to menopause, and again, there are hormonal treatments and and other treatments. You advocate replacing those with uh, changes in diet. Yes, um, and and I th- I think you're raising a really important distinction. If it's diabetes. Uh, let's say you've got type 2 diabetes, your blood sugar is going way, way up. That's dangerous over the long run. You've got to take medicines. If the oral medicines like metformin don't bring it down, you're going to take insulin, and that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, the good news is that when you do the diet changes I recommend, you're going to almost certainly need less insulin, maybe none at all. Your disease may go away. With hot flashes and menopausal symptoms, the medicines are totally optional. You don't have to have them. Now, you're gonna, you may want them because you're, the hot flashes are driving you crazy. Yeah. But there's no, there's no health risk. An important distinction. So it's an important distinction because if you're taking insulin and you need the insulin, it could be life-saving for you. Uh, again, Dr. Neil Bernard is uh, president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine uh, in Washington. His new book is called Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. And it is uh, more than just a narrative uh, on the uh, uh, benefits of uh, healthy uh, eating and healthier foods. Uh, you also have a, a number of recipes and uh, so on uh, in the book as well. Where do we learn more? Oh, well, thank you. Well, Your Body and Balance is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and everywhere, but we have a website which is called pcrm.org. That's Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. Dr. Bernard, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Great talking with you today. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, thatisgoodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.